welcome to the Empire podcast, uh, and specifically our spoiler special for Blade Runner 2049. They said it couldn't be done. They said it wouldn't be done. But yet here we are against all reason, logic and the laws of timeliness. Uh, hey, what can I say? We don't do these things unless we have access to the actual filmmakers to explain themselves to us and more importantly to you, the listening audience. Uh, so this is a spoiler special. We will be going into minute, almost pornographic detail on Blade Runner 2049. Goodness. So I know. So uh, do please bear that in mind. There are going to be spoilers from the get-go. I am joined today by two colleagues of lethal cunning who may or may not be replicants. Who knows? Uh, with me are Dan Jolin. I'm a replicant. I knew it. I always knew it. And John Nugent. I guess that makes me a replicant. <laughs> well, who among us is really a replicant? Eh? Um, it's better than being a replicant. Oh, oh. no. It's already gone there and it's only been a minute and six seconds. That's, that might be a record. Or probably not for you, Dan. Um, okay, so we're going to start off with the interview with Denis Villeneuve, the director of the film. Um, so again, this is a spoiler interview. If you have not seen Blade Runner 2049, stop now, hold your peace, and go watch it and come back to us. Otherwise, please enjoy. We are delighted to welcome uh, Denis Villeneuve to the Empire podcast for a, a belated spoiler special for Blade Runner 2049, which has been much requested. Um, I don't think we've ever had so many people wanting to... Uh, ask questions about a particular film. So, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> We're going to start with um, a question from uh, Gina Goska. It's a big one. It's about the dog. Oh. <laughs> Can uh, Denis clarify the most important mystery of the movie? What happened to the dog? Did he survive? Is he okay? <laughs> <laughs> I heard yesterday my editor, Joe Walker, said to me that there was a rumor, rumor that people thought that the... Uh, uh, the replicants were eating the dog around the fire, and I said, "Whoops! That that I I, I didn't thought about that." <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that uh, uh, for me the the truth is is uh, the dog survived. There was a shot where we were seeing the dog uh, a bit later in the movie, and that's a thing that didn't survive the edit. So I can say to you that the, the dog survived. Sorted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> First question definitively answered. There we go. Arthur Mingo would like to... Uh, we have a couple of questions about the lighting. <laughs> so um, Arthur Mingo asks, how was the lighting in Wallace's office achieved? Because I want it in my house. <laughs> the thing is, and then you have to uh, hire Roger Deakins. The thing is that it's like uh, uh, the set... I, I wanted the the the, the Wallace uh, towers to to uh, to have a feeling of bunkers, you know, that uh, will be designed to last for ten thousand years, keeping the memory of the company and being able to resist uh, to the uh, r the ocean rising, you know, uh, if ever in the future Elio uh, had to uh, be flooded, totally flooded, the tower will still rise above the ocean and resist the uh, it's really like massive bunkers uh, designed to keep uh, the memory of the company. Is a company. And, and, and uh, Wallace being a blind man, uh, the idea was that there will be no windows, you know, it would be just designed for him, for his own pleasure. So it's like a, the, the, um, and uh, for a blind person of uh, uh, like a, we design him. The idea will be that he just see light patterns, light movements in front of his eyes. So uh, the, the 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 elements of water, the 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 way the light is moving in the building is just designed for the own pleasure of of that megalomaniac character. Um, 
now Roger designed those rigs of, of uh, circular lights that are slowly uh, uh, and it was a, uh, like a, that ring of light it was a lot of work there's like a, something like 200 spotlight or something like that I don't recall exactly the number but it's really uh, I think it will be difficult to have that in your living room <laughs> I don't recommend does Roger Deakins do interior decoration <laughs> we, need to, <laughs> we need to find out no, it's by the way. no, okay, no, okay, no. there's another lighting question um, from Rattan he is asking about the scene between Deckard and Neander Wallace and that's the scene where the light is kind of pulsing in and out mm-hmm. and he just wants to know why did you choose to have light play such a prominent role the thing is that uh, uh, again as I said earlier it, there was this idea that the light will be designed for someone that was blind the light is not there to lit the light is there to create sensation and uh Myself, it's an idea that uh, uh, Roger and I came with the, uh, to to create tension in the scene because knowing that it would be a very static scene, uh, I, I like the idea of like a bit of like in some plays and theater when you have uh, characters that have long monologues, the light is shifting to create a, a, a tension mm-hmm. and mystery and and to uh, uh, I thought it was interesting sometime when uh, uh, to feel that. Uh, sometimes we are going more in inside the characters instead of seeing their face we are go we have the impression to go closer to their souls because they are falling slowly in the darkness and and uh it's a scene where my main char- one of my main character will be confronted with doubt and 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 uh, and uh, will be facing uh, old memories and and uh, we use the light to convey that shift toward the past and 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 uh convey that feeling of strong intimacy between very uncomfortable uncomfortable intimacy between two characters that are foreigners and obviously that's the scene where rachel um makes an entrance at yes, the end. yes was that yes. one of the, the the kind of moments in the film you were nervous about are, you, are we going to be able to pull this off the thing is that it's it's um it was a, a big technical challenge because honestly uh, let's face it uh, we saw in few movies before uh, that kind of uh, technology use and it was not totally uh, uh, believable and for the, this movie uh, uh, the scene it was not about bringing back a character it was more than that I, we needed the, in order to for the movie to to work in order to, for the scene to to be believable to the, we needed to 100% believe that uh, Sean uh, Young is back from the past and uh, so uh, it took a lot of resources a lot of time uh, and the, the VFX uh, crew did a fantastic job because I, I think it, it, they were able they achieved something that was not done before which is to create a human being in front of the camera we worked with uh, uh, an actress Lauren Peta that uh, um, had the generosity to uh, to come on set and I casted the Lauren because she was a, a very good actress but uh, had also the same height and, and same size as Sean Young and uh, uh, she uh, um, did this the scene with uh, Harrison it was very important for me to have a, an actress in front of the camera in front of Harrison uh, uh, so he could perf- do, do a scene with the uh, with, uh, uh, acting not against uh, a tennis ball but uh, uh, against a, a real human being and then it will help also the VFX crew because we will just have to um, let's just not just have but we will only care about the head you know and, and uh, the rest of the body and the ends will be real and um, and also uh, 
Lauren's face will inform the VFX crew how the Rogers light uh, influence uh, the face, but it was a big challenge. Sean Young was uh, with me on set. I'm very grateful that Sean participated to this strange process, you know, <laughs> where she she was there to to uh, help me to direct Lauren to make sure that uh, the way Lauren was moving, her uh, uh, intonations were close to Sean's, and then we did a, a, a motion capture performance with Sean. Uh, she uh, she did the scene uh, uh, for the VFX crew. So what you see at the end is is a cross mix between Sean's performance and Lauren's performance. What was Sean's reaction? Do you remember when she first saw the, the kind of finish? Uh, I think that, uh, I um, I think it's for her it's, it's I, I think she will, she will uh, Sean will have loved to I think she was very excited to be part of the project uh, she uh, I think it was a strange experience for her to, to see her coming out of the past like that but uh, uh, no, uh, she was uh, very excited to. Uh, uh, I think she she would have loved to be there there more. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I had warned her, but it was uh, at the end of the day, the movie is all about her. I mean, it's the movie is about her, and it's like it. The but she's the mystery of the movie, and and uh, but um, mm. yeah. Obviously, uh, Deckard was not so much a mystery of the movie because that was in the, the marketing material. Would you have preferred to have, have kept that, his, Harrison's presence in the film, uh, a secret? Listen, as a film director, I would love to keep everything a secret. I would love the audience just to trust and to come in the theater and, and having not seen anything of the movie because, of course, uh, the way you, you, when you design the film, you try to create surprises, tension, uh, uh, and and uh, those uh, one of uh, of the thing, it was a, a you know at the end of the day it would have been tough because everybody knew that Harrison was on, in the project so that's a thing. Uh, but mm. yes, the answer that I would have loved not the audience to know how he appears, where he appears, and that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, we have quite a few questions, uh, uh, sort of Deckard related. Um, you're going to see this one coming a mile off. <laughs> Simon Wright asks. Uh, is Deckard a replicant then? <laughs> the thing is, uh, uh, it depends who you ask. If you ask to Ridley Scott, he will say, of, what are you talking about? Of course, <laughs> he's a replicant. If you ask to Harrison Ford, you will have a very different answer. Both of them still disagree. The thing is, uh, and but uh, um, when Harrison did the, uh, the, the, the first movie, he, uh, uh, he, he was convinced that uh, Deckard was a human being. That's the way he did it. That's the way he approached the character. That's the that the, the from a logical point of view, um, the way he behave, he behave with with the replicants. The way he he he, he is uh, behave with Roy Batty at the end. You know all that. Uh, Harrison thought made sense if he was a human, and he's he was thinking that he is still thinking that the story is more interesting if we're it's a story of a human falling in love with an artificial human being. That there's a story. For Harrison, for Ridley, it's it's totally uh, the opposite. Uh, for him, it's it's interesting to have a character that slowly discover that the people he's as he is hunting uh, are like him, you know, and that he is uh, is himself an object and not a not a, a, a real human. So that's Ridley's take. Me, my take is the following: is uh, I love in the uh, uh, Philip K. Dick novel. Uh, the idea that the the cops 
like doctors, you know, that are like, uh, you know, a doctor that uh, is uh, in contact with uh, uh, sick patients. Sometimes they, they start to doubt about themselves. They start to, to be afraid that they could have the symptoms. They could have the sickness. And in the book, uh, Do Androids Do Android Dreams About Electric Sheep? The, the cops uh, are uh, doubting sometimes the ask to have, have uh, to to pass the test the voice camp test themselves because they aren't sure at one point or my, my, my memories are real or mm. I'm, uh, and they, they, they and that inner doubt that self paranoia i deeply love <laughs> i really love this i really love the idea that you know what even decker doesn't know if yeah. he's real or not so it's normal that you don't know because even him is doubting he thinks he's real he might be not he's doubting and that's what we try to convey in the scene when when wallace is saying to him are you real or are you not real wallace knows the answer but Harrison doesn't he's the one person and in and 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 he doesn't and i love the fact that it's painful for him that pain is very interesting that existential doubt is so is uh, that pressure is very uh, uh um powerful i think and 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 um that's i, I so i will say my answer is i don't know i don't want to know i prefer uh, uh, being on the edge of the question i love how you kept that mystery and then introduced a new one with the dog and no one knows whether the dog is a replicant or not either ah, that that i i love the idea because you know in in this world the, the artificial the the real animals are are all uh, are dead and so mo the animals in the first movie were all artificial is the dog is real or not is like deckard is a mirror of deckard's condition i love the idea that uh about the dog i have my own idea i must say uh uh I design the behaviors of the dog, so it could give an answer. But uh, it's uh, it's uh, the dog is like uh, I really love uh, 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 Bo. That dog, it was a fantastic actor. <laughs> <laughs> the way I wanted a dog that would behave very strangely and not bark and 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 move very slowly like an old machine. If you want to, <laughs> you okay. want to read between the lines, I feel that the for me. Uh, uh, I think it's an artificial dog. If I may, but again, I like the idea that there is still an open question. Okay. A few more readers' questions. Staying in the animal kingdom, Cy White asks in all caps, what are the bees about? Oh, uh, it's one of my favorite moments of the movie by far. It's the idea that you have a, uh, when I read the screenplay at the beginning, uh, uh, they cared at the big, uh, at like a, trout in a swimming pool he had like a, a farm he was farming he had a lot of uh, of uh, of uh, resources to to uh and uh uh Harrison ford and i were saying he's cook he has enough food for a village <laughs> they were, I, we felt it was too much and me personally I, i i thought it would be interesting to see how this character is surviving having those kind of hydronic hydronic uh, pods that are like with some green elements like to feel that it's like something that to for to 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 create chlorophyll but it, it always needs a, a sugar energy uh, um and uh, i thought that bees to be a, having deckard being a beekeeper will be beautiful idea and the idea that bees will survive the environment with with uh, 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 systems that will be there to feed them that will be a beautiful sci-fi uh, 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 image Um, and bees are uh, uh, are like the um, the beacons of uh, oh, not the beacons. Uh, sorry, the the um, 
a, a, a species that uh, um, is a, a warning. The bees are slowly uh, dying right now. And that uh, uh, could be terrible for us humans because it means that uh, uh, the, the bees are there to to so the plants can can reproduce. You know, if the plants are not re there's no more reproduction for of plants, then it's it's a, we are in a, 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 a deep shit if I can say. So <laughs> it's it's like the 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 idea that bees are still alive. There's still bees there at the very end of a very dystopic mo movie for me was like a sink hope. Mm. And it's a very a strong image of hope, and I needed that that uh, in that world to have that uh, spark of hope. It's not an idea that was in the screenplay; it's an idea that came as we were storyboarding, and uh, it's one of my favorite moments of the movie. And I deeply love the idea that Kay, being a replicant, not, having no idea what his bees, put his hands in the beehive. Something I think any human will never do. But him, it's a very Blade Runner image: a replicant putting his hand. In the beehives. Obviously, the Voigtkampf test in the first film has the image of a wasp landing on an arm. So It's true, it's true, it's true. And there was a, a mirror, a, a, a wink to uh, uh, the first movie in that regard, yes. Yeah. Because I, he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. A quick question from Graham about the origami sculpture, which uh, Gaff does. He's asking, what was it? And I think online I've seen some people say it's a sheep, some people say it's a cow. Oh, uh, uh, man, then I'm sorry if the image is not clear, but it is a sheep, of course, <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs> it's a stocky sheep. <laughs> okay, and we've, we've had quite a few questions about Joy. Um, so Chris Bolton asks, did Joy really love or even care for Kay? And that's one of the big questions of the movie. I don't know whether you want to elaborate on it. Or, that, or it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, Joy is a, a program that is designed to, to, uh, to express the desires of its owner. And uh, the more Kay wants to be human, the more she, she wants to being emancipate, the more she wants to emancipate herself, the more she wants to be real, the more she wants to. And uh, I love the idea that probably a lot of people are using this, this uh, program for, for sexual purpose in the world. But Kay is, is uh, using this program to have a real relationship He tried to build with his apps uh, 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 to create uh, 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 intimacy and, and uh, uh, to have a partner that he can talk with because humans don't like replicants and replicants don't like Blade Runners. So we are talking about a very lonely character that can have no relationship with other beings around him. And, and, um, and it's only ways to have to have this relationship with this uh, uh, application let's call it like that and that uh, that uh, is a mirror of his own conscious and and um, so does does she love him for real or not i think that uh, i like uh, uh, not like but i thought uh, uh, it's quite devastating the final scene with joy mm. where he, he he's, he's put him is the, the reality comes all the he lose all his his illusion at the end Uh, I realized that all is uh, what is uh, left in front of him. And I, I thought it was quite uh, painful and beautiful and poetic. Yeah. Mm. And on a related note, uh, Peter and the Wolf is kind of a ringtone, I guess. Yeah, it's an idea that I had because uh, I wanted uh, something that would be very specific that uh, will... Uh, uh, um, uh, um, that the audience will recognize every time they will hear it, it will be without any compromise. It will be uh, coming out of all this 
jungle of sounds that is the movie you know there's so many uh, so and and uh, i wanted something that uh, will be romantic at the beginning my my uh, because the character is close to jiminy crickets you know mm. k is pinocchio you know and 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 joy is jiminy cricket and i wanted uh, 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 i would have loved to to have, have something uh, but uh, it was not possible to have disney <laughs> you cannot the clearance of a disney uh, <laughs> i wish to open a star upon a star you cannot have that so i i went for something that had the same quality link with childhood and uh, the idea of of uh, uh, peter of the Wool, uh, peter is is drowned by a, a One one of his uh, uh, friend, the duck, uh, uh, into the woods, you know. So there was something about uh, following a character into the danger toward the wolf that uh, I thought was uh, pretty appropriate. Yeah. Okay. Very last question um, is from me. Um, we see Deckard in Vegas. We see Elvis and Sinatra. Is Deckard a, a Sinatra guy or a Presley guy in your mind? Oh me! I, I, How about I, you? I, I I think he's more of a Sinatra a character. A kind of uh, there was a kind of inner melancholia, and 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 uh, uh, something uh, that the way I will say definitely, uh, definitely, he's no Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> was it tough to clear those? Uh, get all that stuff no, out? no. The thing is that uh, um, th those were in the screenplay right from the start, so there was time and resources. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Denis. All right. Well, that was Denis Villeneuve. I think that was somewhat enlightening, at least. Um, first of all, let's let's find out where we all stand on the film. Were we all um, fans? Were we in line with Empire's five star verdict? What's the what's the feeling? I was in line with Empire's five star verdict because I wrote the. <laughs> that is that is a surprise to me, Dan. My goodness. And no, no, I, I I am still in line because actually it was one of, it is one of those things. It was one of the situations where you see the film, and then you, you're writing the review. That, like, that like, is how it tends to work. Like, but like straight afterwards. Oh, I see. Okay. Without that kind of, you know, go away, muddied over kind of. I, I, it was, it was one of those instant turnaround kind of things. Which, sure. which, sorry, I'm not. I'm, this isn't a sob story. I'm not asking people <laughs> to feel sorry for me because I got to do this. But it is sometimes it is a little bit like, you know, that that instant impression that you have. You you, you want to step away from it a little bit and examine it from all angles and before you go. So anyway, uh, I gave five stars. I thought it was magnificent. I thought it was um, actually the 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 best. IMAX experience I'd had since well Dunkirk so not that long ago but but I think it's up there as, as an equivalent cinematic experience but um, I have you know rewatched the film since I wrote that review and uh, I'm happy to say I still stand by it you agree with yourself I still agree with myself um, John how about you Uh, well, the original Blade Runner is one of my all-time favourite films. Uh, I watched the the final cut in the cinema, and I came out of the, the cinema just bouncing. I was floating on air. It was just, it's just an incredible film. Uh, so I was very excited about this film. Uh, and then you you heard all of these reviews about it being better than the original, and you know, five star masterpieces. And I got a little bit on the hype train. And uh, then I went to see it in a public screening. I missed all the press screenings and. I, I think I was over anticipating it. I think the hype built it up too much. It's Dan's fault. Really. It's basically Dan's fault. You ruined Blade Runner 2049 for me. Well, actually, I'd like to point out you were technically wrong. The original Blade Runner was not the final cut, it was the theatrical version. Which was the first one that I saw well, <laughs> with, the, with the voiceover and everything. I say original Blade Runner to differentiate from 2049. I, I realise the final cut is, you know, not the original cut. The original. <laughs> Because otherwise it would be the first cut. But anyway, uh, I, I think initial viewing, I was uh, somewhat disappointed just because of how highly I was anticipating it. Upon second viewing, I think 
uh, it worked a lot more for me. I think there's still a few reservations, but I think it is a stunning piece of work. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I actually do have have reservations as well. You know, it's this. It was one of those five star reviews, which isn't like it's absolutely perfect. It's mm-hmm. not, and we'll get into what's not perfect about it. But I just again, as 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 a just as a kind of you know all consuming sensory experience, I was just you know I was uh, swallowed up. Gosh, I'm a little bit more agnostic than either of you. Um, I liked a lot of things about it and thought many things about it were stunningly well done particularly obviously Roger Deakins work which I think is just mm. glorious oh, it deeks. looks it looks like nothing else um, but I have some issues otherwise but we'll get into it mm. um, sure right well we're, I think we're going to take some some questions from readers uh, which have been sent in now um, anybody whose name I haven't got here I apologise now but I blame Chris for not you know, sending it to me. So that's the way it's going to go here. From at 20th Century Mark asks, at what point did the team work out that Kay wasn't Deckard and Rachel's son? Did you think it was fishy all the way through or did they get you hook like line and sinker like they did Kay? Um, so we're going right into big spoilers here. There's the end of the film, essentially. Mm. When did you figure it out? I thought it would have been too neat, to be honest. I just, mm, I, 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 I never really went with it when mm-hmm. when but i was more interested in well what is the source of the memory yeah. you know and how has it led to him finding this thing in reality but then of course you end up, you know which layer of reality are we on when he actually finds the horse then you, you, you know because this is a philip k dick you know source story um you could be thinking well actually has he has he really found the horse is that you know are we in a different level of, Whoa, of man. so you know but it's it's all part of the blade runner experience isn't it you know you constantly it's it's questions of Memory, identity, humanity, all those things wrapped up. And I really like the fact it really worked to instantly go, this guy's a replicant. Because if you remember, actually, we didn't actually know Kay was a replicant mm-hmm. before going in and seeing the film. But it's obviously instantly clear. It's not a spoiler to actually say that, but uh, people thought it was at the time. But anyway, and so, so yeah, so we know he's a replicant. And it kind of flips the the dilemma. It's not so much, you know, with with Deckard, which, again, this is a whole other discussion. Yeah. He is human and then he starts to question, well, is he or not? This is the other way around. Oh, okay, maybe maybe he could be human. That's interesting. Um, So I kind of, I liked it, but I never never really went for it just because I just thought narratively it would just be too easy. I, I actually felt exactly the same way. I was Mm. like, I was was suspicious that I was being led down that path. Mm. Um... Yeah, so. I was. I I think I was quite disappointed when I when I saw it going down that path, and then I was sort of relieved when it didn't. It felt like quite convenient that he was just the chosen one. You know, that's quite a, hmm. a repeated trope uh, in in genre movies. And I, I thought it was interesting that that sort of came rewatching it. That that idea came from Joy. Uh, it, was, it was sort of she puts that idea in him that he's like special, that he's more than just mm-hmm. another replicant, and so it's quite interesting to like have that and then have that taken away from him. Mm. I think that's quite an important part of his arc, is that he thinks he's he's you know he, he's he's unique and then he's not, and perhaps that's something in you yeah. know that's that's quite a human thing to feel really that you're just another. Yeah, there's the, there's that line, isn't there? Sort of like, yes, we all we all wish, yeah, we all wish that we were the, exactly. uh, you know, we all wish we, we were that baby, uh, you know, from the other replicants. But you're right about the thing about it being put in his mind by Joy is really interesting because mm. I find that relationship really interesting because so Joy is kind of a, a step 
further removed from actual humanity than the replicants, and yet she is human in in her own way yeah. as well. And their relationship is real in its own way as well. And it's it's almost kind of like they could have subtitled this film, you know, to to Hologram's Dream of Translucent Sheep. <laughs> <laughs> that you know, she's does she dream? You know, does she? Uh, you know, she seems to be at, reacting to things with 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 wonder when she leaves and with fear and 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 concern, and yet. On one level, this is something that Wallace has just created and, and put in there, but but has, you know, it's like the, you know, the ghost in the machine. Is there mm. something else there? Um, and why shouldn't there be if we're to believe that there is something else there in K? But then if we don't think there is something else there in Joy, then that means that probably there isn't something else there in K, maybe. Well, it depends on the nature of replicants, which has never been entirely clear if they're entirely robotic or if they're sort of, you know essentially cloned humans with robotic elements or something like it's they deliberately leave it a little bit obscure because quite frankly if there are robotics in there it should be patently easy to tell if someone is a replicant we could do that right now with an x-ray mm. um so th- there must be something a little bit more humany about them um and that's kind of you know in- implied again and again and again this ai thing i mean the idea is i think that she's one of the many 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 female um, coded characters in this film who is created to please men mm. um, and the idea presumably is that she is giving him what he needs to hear mm. yeah um, but by doing that how how far does she change things and how far does she uh, move from her original mm. programming I guess yeah, yeah. that's the, the impression I got is that that's the sort of thing she's programmed to say is to say stuff that he wants to hear so the stuff about him being the chosen one or him actually being a real human is what he wants to hear and so maybe that's just coming from her you know her her software of saying please this man you know mm. which is which in a way is quite a, a sort of dark thought if you think about it because it's it makes their relationship less authentic mm. i suppose mm. well i mean denis villeneuve's interview in this month's empire makes it sound like he saw it almost more as a love story between Kay and Mariette, for example, during the sex scene, rather than between Kay and Joy, which is not how I read it at all. Um, and it's it's so that adds another little wrinkle. Is it meant to be a love triangle and mm. not a sort of a a couple story at all? It's a it's a bizarre, weird relationship that mm. the whole issue about humanity is is quite interesting as well because if you read the Blade Runner novel sequels there was an interesting thread going through those which I think this film I don't think it it doesn't take any elements of that plot particularly but it takes this idea that maybe the humans are the the replicants are the more human than the humans so the 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 Tyrell more more human than human yeah Yeah. the Tyrell (laughs) motto brought to literal life but by the end of those books I mean this is a spoiler for the books slightly but by the end of those books human birth rates have dropped almost to zero but replicants are beginning to give birth for example, um, and and it is the, the switch is kind of flipping, so that the the replicants are becoming the the human species, really, and, and the humans are mm. kind of left behind as an obsolete evolutionary dead end. And there's there's a there's a tinge of that, I think, to this film as well. I think it's a pretty heavy tinge, to be honest. I think you know, there's there's it's where it's going, and mm. and uh, you know, without wanting to tip on tread on the toes of any of the other questions and further discussions, but you know, oh, we there, always do. There, there, there's there's an argument that that's where it could go if they were to do, you know, Blade Runner 2051 or whatever. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you've got this promise of a replicant uh, uprising. But it, it's almost like, they, you know, they're ready to take Earth. 
it's, it's almost like humanity's gone off now and it's got its its own, you know, humanity's left Earth and it's just like, well, okay, Earth is going to be become the, you know, the domain of the replicants or something. Yeah. But, the sense of but in the last film, the replicants were meant to be kept off Earth. Exactly. But so there was, so this is a bit of law within the, within the Blade Runner, you know, movie universe. So there was prohibition. That was prohibition. And uh, Wallace, Nyanda Wallace, argued successfully to end prohibition, replicant prohibition, by proving that replicants could 100% obey. And one of the prologue shorts directed by Luke Scott... Mm-hmm. Mm. The clues in the surname. Sure, um, was uh, shows uh, Nyanda with one of his new replicants who 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 he says right you've got to you know one of us one of us has to die and you've got to make that choice and the replicant basically slits his own throat in front of you know these people who assume I presume were the kind of government of the earth or whatever. Sure. So yes, that's the thing. So replicant prohibition has ended and replicants are supposed to be totally one hundred percent submissive except for these old, uh, troublesome Nexus 8s. Does that describe K? Genuine question. Well, this is the thing. That's, that's the, 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 the plot device where he says he killed the child. The reason, you know, and that kind of wouldn't work if you didn't know this, and it's not 100% clear until later on someone says, oh, right, you believe him because we can't lie. Yeah. So the idea is that, you know, it's kind of replicants have to obey they can't mm. lie now and and he starts off like that and that's why he has the baseline test i'm guessing yeah. that's the thing interlinked to make sure. cells interlinked yes yeah. um i still don't know what the hell's going on there but anyway and uh, it's cool, <laughs> well, it's, 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 it wakens the winter soldier that's that's what happens <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah um so, so that's that's kind of the device there, and of course he's broken free of the whatever the mm, programming yeah. because of the idea that's been seeded in his head, the idea of the miracle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't know where I'm going now. No, that makes I'll sense. <laughs> um, we had a question a question about Nyander Wallace. So, um, at Rosie Reeves asks, I've been wondering whether Nyander Wallace is a replicant and whether he has had his eyes removed so he can't be traced. I think this would bring a new angle to his work. It would be interesting to know what you and the team think. That is, that would be a wrinkle, wouldn't it? That is a wrinkle. That is a wrinkle. Uh, I think it's unlikely, but it's it's possible, isn't it? Mm. I mean, those that those amazing little sort of little mini drones that float around him as as his sort of sight, I thought, were really interesting. Uh, and they seem to use like a clicking sonar as to, to create vision for him. I was mm. really interested to think what his what he could actually see, whether it was just like shapes or or like really detailed like mm. like I think I think it's kind of either like Daredevil or Geordie LaForge. Uh, <laughs> I think I think it's, it's one or the other. Um it is an interesting idea, but I don't think that's the case. I just think it's it's Blade Runner just plays with eyes. Obviously eyes are a big theme there so the idea of making the the villain of the piece blind kind of plays into that sort of uh, themology sure sure themology the- just theme i don't know theme don't know. would yeah. just do but um and also there's the thing so it's the right eye uh which is the giveaway with replicants okay i'm not exactly sure why because it's a bit weird when when you see um k's removed um Sapper Morton, Dave Bautista's yeah. eye. And there's no optic nerves hanging out or anything like that. It's just a very clean eyeball. Um, so, again, that kind of feeds into how exactly are replicants made. So I mean, if, there's, if there's no yeah. optic well, nerves and it's just 
just eyeballs put into a skull. This is my whole uh, thing. I mean, I have the same thing with Battlestar Galactica, which I, I adore. But like, if her if her spine lights up bright red every time she has sex, there's something you could test for there. Mm. They're, I, they're synthetic humans, as yeah. I understand it. They're organic matter, but their brains are implanted with memories. Uh, and and I guess there's some level of control over you know their thought process, their their cognitive functions. The, in terms of, you know, yes. as you say, the Nexus 9s are the, the more loyal versions, so they obviously have to have some level of control over mm. their, their their loyalty and the, their ability to lie to humans. So, yeah, yeah they're synthetic humans. Yeah. But yeah, so it's just, the, it's just, you know, they say the right, you know, pluck thine right eye out if it offends thee and all that business, and there's the mm-hmm. resistance leader who's taken her right eye out and everything. So, uh, given that, I don't think it works with Diander Wallace because he's just blind, you know. Yeah. He's in, it's, it's not a kind of like a one-eye thing. Is it more a sense. representative thing that he is blind because he cannot see that his plans have a flaw in them? Yeah, I mean, I didn't like that character. Um, that's when I said I had some issues with it. I didn't like the character. I didn't like Leto's performance. I didn't know whether I didn't like the character because of Leto's performance or whether Leto performed that way because of the way the character was written. They're kind of very tightly bound together. I preferred Terrell in in the original. I thought he was a more believable, whatever, captain of industry or, 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 or you know, scientist with, with God complex issues and everything. He, he was more, you know, a, a believable character, whereas Nyanda Wallace is so much more kind of, I am just going to talk and creep. Metaphor. I quite, you know what, I quite like that. The second time around, I got on with on board with this character a lot more. I really liked, you know, considering we've seen Jared Leto as the Joker, uh, and that you could describe as big acting, uh, and this was less theatrical and more just sort of. Uh, I just liked his voice. It was just, you do not know pain until you have seen that. <laughs> oh, an angel has walked into house. Fuck off. <laughs> just talk, just quite talk normal. And what I do did like about that character is, the, as Denis Villeneuve mentioned in his interview with Nick, uh, the fact that he is blind meant they could have a bit more fun with his set. I thought the Wallace... Um, headquarters oh, was stunning. the most incredible production design mm. of, I don't know ever maybe like and again the cinematography there with the the water reflections reflection and just the, light, the spinning light spinning light oh my god it's stunning it's absolutely stunning and the reason it is it is so sort of mysterious uh, is because he's blind and so the lighting is not necessarily to see stuff it's more to create mood and atmosphere and sensation for everyone else maybe put them a little bit off exactly although i mean the wisdom of a blind man living in a place filled with large numbers of pools seems maybe (laughs) questionable i don't know but he's got his flying fish eyes thing he does have his flying fish eyes so that's super good um uh, we did have a question here from uh at mike charlie golf um, which in one part says, can we agree Jared Leto was the worst part of the movie? And that does seem to be a yes um, from at least Dan here. Mm. So, yeah. At Cherise Rose 90 asks, do you think Anna's illness slash terrible immune system is a result of being part replicant or is she not sick at all and is kept in quarantine for her protection because of what she is? Now, I have to say I, I thought the second of these, but am I am I wrong? Am I right? What did you think? I think, uh, I think 
it is sort of explained in a line of dialogue. I believe the uh, leader of the replicant resistance um, mm-hmm. mentions that she is put in there for her own protection. For her own protection, she's yes. hidden away from because obviously the the Wallace Corporation would want to track her down, and if they if they knew where she was. So I think that's the answer. But they obviously know where she is because she's able to get at newborn replicants somehow. There's obviously something like her work at least is being transmitted to the Wallace Corporation, Well, yes, right? but she, well, she, works, she works for the Wallace Com- Corporation as a contractor, as she yeah. says, but I, I'm not sure that they're aware of her true identity. No, I'm sure they're not, but I'm wondering, I'm not sure how it helps to be in a bubble. How does it help to be in a bubble? It's bulletproof glass. I don't know. <laughs> I've got a question actually about that place. Who's who's on reception at that place? Because you know, people just rock up and walk in while she's yeah. working and stuff. I mean, nobody calls in and says, you know, you know, we've got a visitor for you, and I'm a bit busy right now. They just keep barging in. I mean, okay, so fair enough. One of them was a dad, but you know, security as well. Talking of receptions, uh, the Wallace Corporation reception is one of the best receptions I've ever seen. You know, with that like long bar mm-hmm. and the amazing lighting. And that's just the reception. Mm. It's wow. like it's like cool keyboard yeah, as well. You yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. I mean, you probably go upstairs and it's just a shitty office like everybody else has. You know, <laughs> yeah. open plan. Yeah. You know, an occasional dying pot plant. Yeah, there's probably a coke machine in there somewhere. Probably it doesn't work, and it takes your pound coins. Sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised there wasn't actually any advertising for Coke in the film because there was for Sony and there was for yeah. Atari and there yeah. was for Pan Am. Pan Am. Mm. Yeah. But no, I like, I, I do, I like the fact that, sorry, this is off topic now, but I do like the fact that, that as a world, it's built on the world that was established in the previous Blade Runner as opposed to yes. trying to build it on what our world has become in the meantime. Mm-hmm. So it's, we're in completely, a you know, an, an, another universe here. Yeah. You know, and I, I love that. And also, I, I really like the plot point about the blackout as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which kind of explains why so much of it's kind of odd and analogue in, te- in terms of technology, yeah. you know, and no one's sort of, you know, using yeah. what we see all the time in science fiction films these days, like, you know, touch screens and... Yeah. See-through phones, which make no sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I highly recommend watching because uh, there's three or four shorts, isn't there? That, that sort of fill in the backstories. Three, and there's a there's a great anime one yeah. which which deals with the blackout and talks about these replicant re- rebels who basically destroy the sort of central power system that mm. controls the whole world, uh, and that's the reason. It's because of the replicants trying to sort of reset reset the clock, which they pretty much do successfully and wipe yeah. all all data. From the universe, which is an amazing thought when you think about it. I mean, that that's a sort of a po- apocalyptic level data yeah. yeah. wipe. Yeah, and it's just quite plausible, actually. Yeah, quite <laughs> plausible. Extremely so. I mean, and, you know, all we need is that one big solar flare and all our hospital records, all our yeah. photographs, yeah. our lives. Uh, you know, Chris Hewitt's Twitter feed will all <laughs> so, be destroyed God, forever. Forever. <laughs> Say it ain't so. But also it helps make uh, Blade Runner 2049 a bit longer because otherwise it would have been just Kay Googling and then True. skip to the end. Whereas, um, we have a lot of questions about some of these uh, issues that we're touching on right now. So let me let me pick the bits out um, from some compound questions here. At Champ Celluloid asks, if Wallace had access to, to Terrell's files, is he the only one who knows for sure if Deckard has a rep- is a replicant? Um, would he necessarily have looked them up? I guess so. I guess so. I, I do. I mean, again, I love not really answering that question mm. because I think we can assume so, but I'm not sure it's important that we know it. But I, I, I love the fact that the, the film doesn't take one side or the other, you know, the Harrison side or the Ridley side Yeah. Uh, to God, the answer I... about... 
I don't think it is a cop out. <laughs> I I think it's a smart thing to do because I am I am one hundred percent on on I'm Team Harrison on this. Um, I, I am think, too, actually. I think Deckard is human. I think if he's a replicant, that's just not as interesting. And I think if he's a replicant, it makes this film less interesting as well because I like the idea of Anna mm. being the first. She's not just that she was born. She, she's a human replicant hybrid. Mm. So she's actually an entirely new thing. And I think that the, the, the line from um, uh, uh, Robin, Robin Wright's character um, about the wall... I think it's, it's almost like if the wall comes down, the world is destroyed kind of a thing. Yeah. And I like the idea that Anna represents that wall coming down. Now now there is a blend of the two yeah. life forms, if you like, which doesn't work if their cards are replicant. No, but it does prove that replicants can reproduce in that case. So that would also be seismic. Um, there was a question about this. Does this movie prove that Deckard is human as his child, Staline, has this unique gift that is maybe reserved for a, a human replicant yeah. hybrid? So that's... Uh, I totally Neil agree. Is, Neil I, is king. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree with Neil is king. Neil is king, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's my take. Uh, I, I, I think it depends which cut of the original Blade Runner you watch, I think, doesn't it? Because the <laughs> final cut, I believe, is the one which has the... Uh, the scenes of the unicorns, the unicorn dreams, and then you have Edward James Olmos's character dropping the, the, the di- unicorn. Yeah, the director's origami. cut has those as well. So, um, and I think the original original cut doesn't. No. So, if you watch that one, then it's more ambiguous. I think if you watch the one, the scenes with his dreams of unicorns, that seems to suggest he is a replicant. The thing is, I wonder if it even matters if you've reached a point where a replicant is so. I like a human that it can procreate. Then, does that not make him human? Surely, you know the the the, the definition of a human is something that can. Ah, uh, but what does it mean to be human? You know, it's <laughs> this uh, is Denise, the question. It's good of you to join us. <laughs> no, but it, like it, it, that's the whole question of the entire series. Well, absolutely. What, what does it mean to be human? And and if you can't tell the difference, then does it matter? Quite. So you know. Perhaps that the ambiguousness of that question is the point, uh, yeah. and there is no correct answer. Yeah. Um, there was a question here: uh, Do we think that a Blade Runner could have existed without an appearance from Harrison Ford? Personally, um, at Pat Greenbow ninety six found that as the first act went on, he noticed how much his anticipation for Ford had waned and how much he was just enjoying the film. That's true. Mm. I, th- I found that as well. Actually, mm. it's just kind of like you don't need him in there. You know, he's just set in the same world and he's part of the background and he's, his story is part of the investigation in the same way that, that Rachel's is. So, yeah, you could completely not have had him there. And and it is one of those, again, it, it, sort of the things that I could criticise despite the fact that I love the film, there was a little bit of when Kay gets to him and he's like, oh, I've got all these questions. It's like, well, you... you this isn't you weren't you're, you know you're not Willard looking for Kurtz. Mm-hmm. Deckard is just part of a bigger bigger mystery here. So he's like I need answers from you, and it's kind of like okay, well, yeah, he's he's almost like he's another sort of step on the journey to, to finding the kid, isn't yeah. it? As opposed to him being the big fix. I, I was you know it, you it gets very close to it's like the Khan thing, like in you know Star Trek Into Darkness, where a character has more importance to the audience than he does to anyone else actually in the narrative. So it becomes baggage. Actually. Exactly. Yeah. And it got close to that, you know, it was like we were supposed to feel like there's some big thing, oh, one Blade Runner meeting another Blade Runner and all that kind of thing. When 
you know, and I suppose to Kay, he thought he was Descartes' son at that point, so maybe fair enough, but it did feel it was trading a little bit too much on the, oh, Harrison Ford's in it now kind of thing. But mm. it didn't go too far down that route, and, and, then, and then the way Descartes became part of the story was really interesting. And Like I say, all the little clues and hints, like when Love says, we're going home. And then later on, she says that, she confirms there's a little line from her saying, off world. So, again, what does that mean in terms mm. of Descartes' origin? But you know. Also, I'm glad Harrison Ford was in this movie because we saw some acting from him, which we haven't seen in a while, I would say. And I, I don't mean to criticise. I just feel like, you know... Kind of sounds like you do. Say maybe. But, but, you know, he's, I, I feel like he's been coasting on his Harrison Ford charm, which is enough. I, sure. think, I don't think you need much if you're Harrison Ford. You can just show up to set and be Harrison Ford and, you know, you're you can make a pretty decent movie out of that. But he was really acting in this film, and I mm. thought he did a superb job. Yeah. He, he did seem to turn up just... I mean, there's a question here. Uh, do you think what he was wearing was a costume choice or just what he happened <laughs> to be wearing on the day? And I have to say, it feels very much like the second at Only Man Who Can. Well, that's not really fair. Isn't it? No, because, OK, so he's been living by himself... Sure. ...right, for a long time, OK? And, you know, everyone knows that men, men, men of a certain age, you know, when they get past... You know, when, when no one's watching, they just, just wear any old crap. We don't care. It's not, you know, is it the Jerry Seinfeld joke about uh, men when they, they get trapped in the clothes that they wore when they were in their 20s or something for the rest of their mm, lives? But he's not doing that, uh, is he? But no, he's just, he's just wearing, he's just whatever, he's just chilling. He's wearing his lounge clothes, you know, <laughs> or, or pyjamas, as we also call them, the e- equivalent thereof. Right. He's not walking the streets, you know. He doesn't need to be in his cool, high-collared, long coat anymore, does he? He doesn't need to be wearing whatever transparent trousers. <laughs> whatever, whatever all the kids are wearing at the time, you know. He's just, just hanging out. He's schlubbing around. Mm-hmm. It's, it is funny when you look at... If, like, I watched some of the special features on the, on the Blu-ray last night and some of the extras that you barely even glimpse at. Next time you watch this, look in the backgrounds of this film because there are some incredible costumes and makeup and mad future hair and just, like, wild... What, there's a guy wearing, like, a teddy bear onesie or something and some neon mask mm. or something shoreditch yeah. yeah it's like future shoreditch it's really really insane and then you got harrison in like a primark t-shirt you know and just sort of lolling about in his las vegas mansion just watching the years go past it's a sort of notable contrast mm. maybe it just did feel weird because like you say every single extra has yeah a better costume than harrison ford does like it's so unadorned it's it's, it, uh, it almost takes you out for a minute. You're like, what the heck is this going? Is this thing? It could have been yeah. worse. He could have been in a beekeeper's costume. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he's, those bees were his. Makes sense. Sure. Maybe yeah. he could have appeared with a beard of bees. <laughs> Although his entrance was fantastic. It was. Talking about cheese. I mean, I can't know. Treasure yeah, Island yeah. and all that business. But... <laughs> Many's the night. All right, Wallace. Yes. <laughs> There's, it wouldn't happen to have a, a piece of cheese on you or something yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. wasn't it? And then Many's the night I've dreamed of cheese. Mm. Toasted mostly, or whatever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Toasted cheese, though. Oh, yum. Wow. So, yeah, I'm hungry now, actually. Has anyone yeah. got any cheese? <laughs> there's, a, there's a toasted cheese sandwich shop down the road. Fantastic. We'll go there after. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to wrap this up pretty quickly. Uh, okay. Here's a question again from Champ Celluloid. Did Anna plant the same dream in every replicant, and to what end, if so? I don't think she did. Was that the question where it sounds like um, uh, Mackenzie Davies' character is saying when she yes. sees... So, yeah, because I read that and um, 
the line isn't, it's from the dream. She says, it's from a tree. Because, um, ah, because wood she, is very rare. Because she uh, earlier she saw the photograph, he had the photograph of a tree, and she said, oh, I've never seen a tree and everything. And she picked it up and said, oh, it's, it's from a tree. So that's her connection to the horse because it's made of wood, okay. which sets up the whole thing about the rarity of wood and everything that we get yeah. later on with the Barkad Abdi's character. So, so yeah, I don't think she was planting it in, in every replicant. But why end up in K is a whole thing. Right, so we it? don't know that. No. Mm. Yeah. All right. But, uh, and also because she says, she makes the point, Anna, sorry, makes the point that it's illegal for her to use real memories. Mm. And yet she does. And she does it with him. So that's a thing I'm not quite sure. I mean, I, I'm inclined to think it's uh, a, a, just a fortunate coincidence, perhaps, uh, and that she's recycling her real memories in the hope that you know, that, that lays the breadcrumb trail for, you know, the truth to come out, perhaps. Who, know, who knows? It's hard to say. But does she know the truth? I'm just trying to think. No, she must know the truth because she was old enough when I think so. that, that happened and then she left the orphanage. So, yeah, no, yeah. it's not like she doesn't know her own origin. Or yeah. Does she know who her cool. parents are? Um, I'm assuming she does. Yeah, because, yeah, Descartes says, says that was the plan and everything that, mm. I think, yeah. But wasn't um, he talking about when she's first born, when she's newborn? Hmm. Uh, yeah, like he's what supposed point, to have left when she was newborn. I what believe, point did Rachel die? At childbirth. Childbirth. childbirth yeah. yeah. Uh, oh yeah, of course, because it's cesarean. Yeah. So you're assuming that then, so Sapper was there because he performed the cesarean. Deckard would have been there as well at that time. So, but it's not quite clear exactly how long it was after that that he disappeared. I, I got the impression it was. The I got the impression it was pretty immediate, to be honest. Mm. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know. It's, it's not really explored, is it? Mm. And I no. think I think that yeah, that is quite an interesting. Uh, uh, well, it's not so much a plot hole as a as a yeah a plot wrinkle. Well, this this does bring bring me to a question from Brett the Baker, who asks: Do you feel the film was too blatant in trying to set up another film? Certain plot strands were left open, and Sir Ridley hinted at more films and interviews. Um, he didn't feel so personally, but many people he's spoken to said it was a bit you know sequel baity. I don't. I didn't get that at all. I feel like I mean, Kay is dead for one thing, so that's his story over. Is he? Yeah. Let's be honest. Mm, I mean, if you didn't see him, for sure, like yeah. be cremated. Yeah, but I mean, he's not, he's not like Lord Snoke. Yeah, yeah, but 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 <laughs> but hang on. The music played over him at the end was "Time to Die" by Vangelis. I mean, yeah. it's. that that in itself should should offer some sort of hint. I feel like that. That his arc is complete. I feel like Deckard's arc is complete. I, f- I I don't see if there is to be a sequel, which, given the box office, seems unlikely. Sure. Uh, I would expect it to follow a different story or with with new characters. I don't think there's anything more from this. But I think uh, what I think Brett's getting at, and certainly what I kind of felt from it, is like this is a little bit like Prometheus to Alien mm. Covenant. Like I feel like they are ne- not necessarily planning to have the same cast the whole time. But there are definite. I agree that there are plot strands all over the place. We've just discussed a couple of mm-hmm. them yeah. that have been left dangling. I mean, it's it's any. I think any 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 movie or you know any any form of art which builds worlds obviously creates something where other stories can happen. And and you know, I think it's it's. I totally understand the expectation that. Uh, there could be another one. I'd like to see another one, I mm. think. I'd like to see Denis Villeneuve make another one, yeah. for sure. 
Um, if only just to sort of, you know, spend more time in this kind of strange future world. Um, but oh, at the same time, you know, I'd be a bit worried about them stretching it a bit much, you know. Again, I, because I really like the fact that it, you know, left us dangling with the Deckard question. I think that if, if because his arc isn't complete, if you buy that, you know, he was told we're going home, the off-world, this, that and the other... Uh, you know, you could say that there's still another story in him actually finding out for sure whether or not and exactly what happened and mm. why it was that he was the one that had to go in to meet Rachel and this and why, and again, Anna, why it was that her memory went into Kay and his, you know, you could, you could, you could wrap it up, you know, more tightly in a, in a, in a big narrative bow with, with another installment, but I'm not really sure I really want that. Mm. i just like to spend no. more time there look, like, a, looking at it with my eyes. Th- mm. There's something to be said for, you know, a little bit of ambiguity in this particular mm. franchise, but you know, it does feel like there's quite a lot going. For example, uh, at Ethan Barr 2 asks, what happened after the ending with the cops incoming? Because if Anna's been sort of hidden, haven't they just blown her cover wide open? Yeah. Isn't that bad? But well, then you see, there's there's there's, there's the post credit scene. Did anyone not wait to the post credit scene, which is Harrison Ford bursting out of the place <laughs> with Anna next to him, shooting up all the guys, and then yeah. jumping into a spinner and oh, yeah, with the future off, Uzi, yeah, and that's then going right. off whoosh, up into the sky. And uh, yeah, that's right. They got yeah. they got Michael Bay in to shoot that scene. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Um, so so yeah, I can't believe nobody stayed for that. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that extended sex scene at the end as well. That was that was a left turn. Was that the one? Was that the one with three holograms and four replicants all at once? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Which brings me actually to another question. Um, I'd love to hear the team's thoughts on how Joy was depicted in the film. I find the contrast between the crass marketing of her as a sexual product and Kay's love for her to be a unique take on AI, particularly since Kay himself is also artificial. That came again from Mike Charlie Golf. Hmm. Well, I thought that was. I said earlier. I thought mm-hmm. that was very interesting. It's kind of it's a relationship. You say you've got one person who's non-human one place removed and she's non-human two places removed and yet they have a relationship which f- feels like the most real thing in the film emotionally anyway uh, or one of them anyway uh, and I really I really like that I thought it was very interesting and again yeah that sort of is, is that really horrible moment where he sees the giant version of her the, like the advert version and realises she just that Joe is what she just calls anyone and mm-hmm. um, you know that was and she's got those horrible black blackout eyes hasn't she those depersonalising eyes which, um, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad we didn't see that earlier in the film. Um, that kind of, you know, sort of, you know, messed with with what you'd been thinking about it. But she's, yeah, she, Joy is very interesting. Is it? You just, you, you kind of don't trust how much of her reaction is programmed, pre-programmed, or you know, an algorithm, mm-hmm. you know, which which is calibrated to the personality and behaviour of the, per, you know, of the person she's with, um, and how much of it is a kind of, you know she's developing or that those holograms can develop beyond their program in the ways that the replicants arguably have but yeah and then also it's an interesting idea this kind of you know because earth is just crap and boring and no one guys you know it's kind of like you know people drudging people and these kind of you know these pleasure programs are created for people but uh, um, and I'm sure you've probably got something to say about this Helen and I interesting, <laughs> interesting we didn't see any male joys yes or yeah uh, what would they be called I don't know joy they would be called Boy. Ha- happy or something <laughs> uh. no it, it, it 
it irritated me. And I, Denis Villeneuve, again, in the, in the most recent issue, talked about this. And he said, you know, this is a projection of our own faults uh, into the future. And therefore, we're a sexist society. So we've projected that forward. But the problem I have with all of that is that surely the problem with sexism is its sort of exploitation angle that one half of the human race is, is exploiting the other. And this goes for racism as well, which is also an issue in this film. And I don't feel like if you have a metaphor for that in the form of replicants, in the form of AI, why are you replicating the form of it as well? It doesn't make any sense to me. So I genuinely think this could have been solved not by changing the, the main thrust of the plot of this film, but just with a little bit more attention to the background. So literally, mm. if you'd seen an advert across the road for a male joy, mm. that would have helped. If you had seen, as well as the gaggle of, of female sex workers, if you'd seen a gaggle of male sex workers next door, that would have helped. Instantly, you would have acknowledged that this is a world where people are exploited and a world where people are misused, and not just recreated the current way that people are exploited and the current way that people are misused. It would have just shown a little bit more imagination and that one extra step of going beyond our own thoughtless prejudice. And I just feel like, genuinely, if you changed nothing else about that film and did those changes in the background, you instantly would have had a film that felt more imaginative. And I expect my Blade Runner films to be really pushing the envelope and I, that, in that respect I really didn't think this one did because I thought that the female characters were an absolute stain on its existence because almost all of them are created for men's gratification whether they're able to move that past that or not like numerically I think it's four out of six really are, are were created entirely for male gratification so, so five and six would be love and uh, uh, love, joy, Mariette who's presumably created as a sex replicant yeah she is yeah, so she's um, a prostitute prostitute. Yeah, Frasier yeah. as well, I guess. Might originally have been that. We don't know for sure, mm. admittedly. Anna not, obviously, and Robin Wright not. No. Mm. But, I mean, otherwise it just feels oppressive in a way that would be earned if it was something like The Handmaid's Tale, which is then doing something with that oppressive atmosphere and talking about that as an issue. But this mm. film doesn't, at least as regards those characters. It may do on a wider sense as regards replicants, but in that case, you don't need to, to introduce gross sexism as well. But I, uh, I you know, I, I think you make a lot of good points there. I I, I wonder if that is, if, if you had the equal amount of male sex workers, that that would seem jarring because, you know, if you look it at It might, but you current, should be jarred. I was jarred. Yeah, but in, in our current society, you don't see the number of male sex workers as you do female sex workers. Perhaps you're not on the right street. <laughs> uh, I, Careful I, now, John. Uh, yeah. No, but genuinely, I mean, it doesn't have to be just heterosexual relationships here that we're talking mm. about, you know. And, and that, that's, again, that's not at all touched on that I could see. I couldn't see any evidence of that. Mm. Um, but the thing is, like, maybe I was absolutely jarred by the level of this in this film, um, but no men were. And maybe that's failing to challenge half the audience. I mean, I you know, I, I appreciate I'm coming from a straight white male perspective. <laughs> I'm not exactly, you know, the uh, uh, I've, I'm coming from a pretty privileged experience. But I, I don't I don't see that depiction necessarily means endorsement. I don't think that um, just because you have uh, gratuitous scenes of exploitation that that necessarily means that this is uh, bad representation. I. I but what would be what would be reduced? How would that be harmed if there was male exploitation going on in the background as well? How would it be I less it, exploitative? It, I, I'm not saying it would be harmed. I'm saying it. I think this is a, a dystopia that is reflective of our own society, and 
that would not be reflective of our society. Our society is a society where sure, but females are subjugated by, by males. But and this is a society where replicants are subjugated by humans. Mm-hmm. So do we also have to have that extra level of subjugation? I, I just don't think it adds anything, and I think it distracts from the central metaphor of the film, which is surely the question of what it means to be human, and how, and that's as it meant to be explored, I thought, through our rep- you know, our relationships with replicants. If it's also being explored through our, um, our, the way we deal with gender, then I feel like that's a distraction from the central thrust of the film. And it's a distraction which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't, you don't gain anything from it. It's, it's just wasting your time. That's think, my basic problem. Yeah, no, I see where you, I totally see where you're coming from on that. I think, I think for me, it's more, um, uh, well, like you said, I mean, you know, Men didn't notice it because they're men, and it's kind of yeah. What he didn't, I was, I wasn't ever watching it, going, yeah, this is bugging me. But um, it's one of those things when it's pointed out to you, you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> I suppose, yeah. But um, I think there's nothing in it as 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 jarring and offensive as in the original Blade Runner, which is a film I still love, which is the, of course yeah. the yeah. the uh, the rape scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Deeply, <laughs> basically, yeah. Which you know you 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 try and read it like oh, maybe because he knows she's a replicant so maybe he thinks it's okay blah, blah, blah. but I think you know I think maybe that was coming misguidedly from a sort of hard boiled noir kind yeah. of background because that's what Blade Runner is mm. more than anything else is a hard boiled noir film just happens to be set in, in the future so again like I was saying earlier uh, you know what I liked about this film was the way it is a continuation of that world without bringing anything of our world as it's changed into it, or not as much anyway. I think maybe that's... I oh, think that, that's in the creation of it, they were it. so focused on doing that mm-hmm. that they didn't really question some of the elements of it that perhaps they should have questioned in order for making it for a, you know... That's my uh, basic issue. 2017 audience. Yeah. And I th- but I think it's not just about making it for the audience. I think it's also just a failure of imagination. I think it's something that they should have considered a bit more strongly. Because, again, it's just a distraction from their own central metaphor, hmm. I think. And anyway, However, I've said that before and I'll probably say it again, so we should probably move <laughs> on. Here's a, a question. Let, let, me, let me get through a couple here. At B. Meeky asks, is there anything you and the team wish had been included in the new film, be it a character or a story arc that you feel they missed out? Maybe the unicorn rocking up and headbutting the bad guys. <laughs> that, would be a, that would be a humdinger. I did like how Edward uh, James Olmos's character Gaff uh, brought a little origami sheep. Yes, um, which was a, a nice reference to "Do Androids Dream of Electric?" Daniel, you're shaking your head. I didn't like that bit. I didn't think it's, it helped the plot at all. Because it's actually, if you, if you look at it in narrative terms, that there was no need for for Kay to go and see him, and he didn't give up any information that actually furthered the plot. Did he it not? Was, did he not send him in the right direction? Did he give him his next lead? I can't remember. I don't think he. I thought he sent him to the. Yeah. Was that not the children's home? No, he got the information about the children's home from somewhere else. I mean, it was it was one of the uh, film's few bit of fan services. Fan service, yeah, yeah, it was very fan service. But the I liked fact that it. It, he was there and he put the sheep down and he was. Although I should be honest, when I first saw it, I thought it was a bull. So there you go. Um, <laughs> and I was like, why is he putting a bull in front of him? It doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, I just kind of thought it could have just not had that scene. It wouldn't have mattered. Maybe. But is there anything I wanted to see? <laughs> Not really, but I did miss... I'm not saying I... And I don't misunderstand me when I say this. Yeah. I did miss Rutger Hauer. In right. the sense that that character, mm. Roy Batty, is the best thing about Blade Runner. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I've, my whole thing about it is he's the hero and Deckard's the villain. Um, which obviously... <laughs> 
the closest you got to Roy Batty is Kay. So he's kind of there in spirit in Kay, and he is actually the hero. But it's just, just he he was such a great character mm. and had all the best scenes in Blade Runner. Yeah. So you know the fact that you know you know Gaff got his moment and Harrison Ford you know obviously had his big thing and everything and it's almost like you kind of like well if you're going to do that. Can you not have a batty somewhere? That's, that's just, just, and he's not even mentioned, for, and you're just like, mm. come on, you know. I, that was the only thing for me, really. But that's that's kind of my my biggest reservation about 2049, and why I think it falls short of the original is that you're missing that slight level of philosophical, poetic profundity that you get from the Tears and Rain speech, and from mm. basically all of Roy Batty as a character is that sort of mysteriousness and that enig- enigma. Um, and that sort of, you know, even that, that, I mean, obviously everyone knows the Tears and Rain speech is one of the greatest moments in cinema, but the, the, the stuff about the attack ships off the, off the belt of Orion. sea beams glittering in the dark. It, that, those little bits of dialogue just say so much and they paint such a huge world and, and, and a sort of unseen canvas. Uh, and there's something in that that I think this film was maybe missing. It needed just that little pepper mm. of poetry. Yeah. For, for Villeneuve, he said that love is the sort of equivalent of Bassey this time. Do you agree with that? No, not at all. No. No, no love is the T-1000. Yeah, she is. <laughs> She's not profound in any way, really. I mean, she, I, I liked that Sylvia Hoax, you know, just occasionally sort of had a little tear down her face as she was sort of dispatching with her latest victim, but... It wasn't. It wasn't. There wasn't as much depth to her, I thought, as Roy Batty. Mm. I actually would have liked to see some off-world stuff. I think in this actual yeah. sea beams glittering in the dark. Well, that's. I mean, that's what's amazing, isn't it? Is how grand and vast and the, the scope of this film is, and yet we still haven't really seen much of the world mm. as it exists. It's well, still like quite that. enigmatic. I like that. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's You know, it's kind of in whatever. Uh, someone's going to say I'm wrong about this now, but in the in the you know in the books of uh, Raymond Chandler, you don't you don't leave the city, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, at least that's how I remember it. Um, so Earth is like the city; it's the beat, and and you, the story doesn't take you beyond that. But it's good to know there's a world out there. I guess. But my 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 100% favorite uh, Roy Batty line is is if only you could see what I've seen with your eyes. Ooh, <laughs> such a good line. And there, again, there was there wasn't really a moment in the script where it went pow like that yeah. you know the, the, you know there was there's, there were some good lines in it but nothing really kind of popped not, mm. not to the same extent um a, a sort of good question just properly wrap it up on here from Gavin W Healy uh, do you think that the below expectations performance for Blade Runner 29 will discourage studios from making more intelligent ambitious big budget films like this in future or has it done enough to warrant more similarly ambitious projects and why do you think it underperformed which is a big question. I mean, obviously this comes in the same year that Alien Covenant, which was similarly ambitious and adult, also didn't connect with audiences. Now that had slightly less warm reviews maybe, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a danger, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, why didn't it work? I mean, it's a long film. That's true. It's a talky film. It's science fiction, but not action. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously there's fight scenes in it, but uh, they're, they're few and far between. But p- people wouldn't have been put off. I mean, well, I mean, maybe. I mean, even the, all the positive reviews, the way that they're positive about it might have been a put off to people Quite because possible. they weren't, they, they were saying they loved it, but they weren't saying, whoa, yeah. it's a balls out action, it's spectacular kind of a thing. I wonder if the, the hype train, like it was with me, maybe sent off a bad word of mouth. Maybe people were expecting <clears throat> the greatest film ever made and if when they didn't get what they were hoping for, that set off, you know, actually it's rubbish. 
And, uh, you know, word of mouth can make or break mm. a film sometimes. And, I mean, the, the original was not a huge box office hit. No, absolutely not. No. And and also the other thing is, is it's not transgenerational, if you like. It's, it's kind of, it's not like we grew up loving Star Wars. Oh, there's more new Star Wars films. Let's take our kids because, mm. cause, you know, we're going to show them Star Wars and we can all watch it together. Or the Marvel movies even, you know. Yeah, yeah. I grew up watching, reading comic books and now my kids love watching these, these things. As that's, that's their blockbuster cinema. Um, whereas Blade Runner is more... It's a grown-up film, isn't you, it? Yeah, you watched it as a kid and you thought, this is boring. <laughs> <laughs> What's Han Solo doing? Just walking around looking moody. Um, and then then you watch it again when, you know, you've got some, some hair on your sacks. Um, Good Lord. Or, or, or other parts. Thanks. And, and, and you're like, oh, this is really clever and interesting. And then you watch it again. And it, so it's that culty end of... culty grown-up end of sci-fi. Um, it's hair on your sack, sci-fi. Yeah, it oh, is. Good Lord. Um, and and so what you've got is the returning audience is just those people grown up <laughs> and not the kids so much. Does that make sense? It's yeah. grey haired on your sack, sci-fi. What? Oh, oh yeah. good Lord! No. Let's, let's just just honestly scary. It's us. I'm a silver front. No, please, please, please stop for all our sakes, Dan. Thank you. I have one final question because we are bang out of time. At Johnny Max says, I loved it, but everyone I went with was bored out of their minds. How do I know I'm not a replicant? Maybe they're the replicants. <gasps> You've blown this thing wide open. Do androids dream of incorrect opinions about film? Electronic friends. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No. You're a replicant. That's the answer. Yeah. There yes. you go. I've they're used the joke earlier, but it's coming back. It's coming nice. back in. You, sir, are a replicant. They are all replicants. Uh, so there you go. We've, we've sorted that one out. And that is it for our slightly belated, but better late than never. This was probably the most requested spoiler special in history. Um, I'm sorry if we didn't get to your question, uh, but, I mean, someone's probably answered it in the, in the months since. So just, you know, go out there and search online and hopefully it will turn up. Uh, but this has been a, uh, a real talk talked about film and it's good to finally have had the chance to do that so thanks to Denis Villeneuve for, for joining us and uh, and explaining what could be explained at the very least um, our next spoiler special I think is going to be Black Panther mm-hmm. which we'll probably have to hold for after the US release that's usually the way these Marvel films go it's out there on February 16th so probably the Monday after that will be the Black Panther spoiler special um, in any case check up on our Facebook and Twitter's feeds, and we will obviously be posting it there once that is happening. And of course, every week, every Friday, you can tune into the regular Empire podcast. Um, please do subscribe, leave us reviews if you liked us. Feel free not to if you didn't. Uh, we're also going to be doing a live podcast on the 14th of February, Valentine's Day. What could be more romantic than listening to a bunch of idiots talk about film? You know you want to. Um, so you can buy tickets for that at kingsplace.co.uk. If you search for Empire Podcast Live, it will come up. And that's it, I think. So I'd like to thank Dan for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure being here and I'm going to shut up now. Okay, thanks to John. Bye, thank John. Thank you. Bye, goodbye. <laughs> yeah. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to fold an origami unicorn. <laughs> 